You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Update on the Code Cove supply chain attack. The Babak gang say they've debugged their decryptor. MI5 warns of industrial-scale catfishing in LinkedIn. Positive Technologies responds to U.S. sanctions. The U.S. stands down the two unified coordination groups it established to deal with the solar winds and exchange server compromises. Are all five eyes seeing eye-to-eye on China? Ben Yellen explains the legal side of the FBI removing web shells following the Microsoft Exchange server hack. Our guest is May Habib from Writer on how AI is helping the security industry with outdated and problematic terminology. And, by the way, your kitchen appliances are a bunch of sellouts or something. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Reuters said late yesterday evening that the Code Cove supply chain attack may have affected several hundred of the software company's customers' networks, with other software development vendors attracting particular attention, along with companies that themselves have a large customer base. It's unclear whether the attackers are ordinary criminals or threat actors working on behalf of a nation-state. Sometimes the hoods need good PR, too, In this case, the goons behind Babook have reached out to journalists, GovInfo Security among them, to say that they've fixed the buggy decryptor MSISoft researchers embarrassed the Babook gang about shortly after the attack on the Houston Rockets professional basketball team. MSISoft, which first noticed earlier this month that the Babook decryptor didn't work, is looking into the gang's claims to have fixed the problem. Skeptically, of course, since stumblebums have difficulty changing their skids. It's an odd sort of customer service problem. Your victims may not bother to even consider paying the ransom if the decryptor you send them is garbage. Britain's MI5 warns of widespread industrial-scale catfishing campaigns in progress over LinkedIn as espionage services approach government workers through fictitious profiles. At least 10,000 British personnel are thought to have been prospected, the BBC reports. There are a few lessons here. First, intelligence officers continue to try to recruit agents 
and they often do so with a personal approach intended to gradually establish a relationship that will eventually induce the agents to do things they know better than to do. Today, that approach is more likely to be made online than it is IRL, as the kids say, and Catfish, a fictitious persona, is likely bait. So don't get hooked, and don't connect with people you've never encountered. And please, hold off on asking people you've never met to connect. You're just tossing more chum out there for the catfishers to hide their bait. Positive Technologies, the well-known Russian security firm sanctioned last week by the U.S. Treasury Department for what the U.S. government regards as excessive closeness to Russia's SVR and other intelligence organs, on Friday issued a statement characterizing Treasury's accusations as groundless. Despite the fact that we are not a public company, the market evaluates our capitalization as high, several billion dollars, the company says, which as far as we can tell is true enough. Their statement adds, This demonstrates the level of interest in our technologies and a serious level of trust in the company, which is also fair enough. To maintain this trust, Positive Technologies says, we adhere to the principles of maximum openness at all levels of our activities, from research to business, including the company's financial statements. And they point to their positive hack days as an example of their open engagement with the global security community. The U.S. Treasury Department, for its part, sees positive hack days as effectively recruiting events for the FSB and the GRU, occasions the Russian intelligence organs use to spot talent. Positive Technologies had been a partner in the Microsoft Active Protections Program, known as MAP, which is more evidence that the company had indeed enjoyed a good reputation in the industry. Redmond describes MAP as a program for security software providers It gives them early access to vulnerability information so that they can provide updated protections to customers faster. Positive Technologies is no longer a partner. Microsoft has, Security Week reports, removed them. The U.S. government has decided to stand down the task forces established to deal with the SolarWinds incident attributed to Russia and the Microsoft Exchange Server compromise attributed to China, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber Newberger says, quote, Due to the vastly increased patching and reduction in victims, we are standing down the current UCG surge efforts and will be handling further responses through standard incident management procedures. End quote. The U.S. will maintain what Newberger describes as a whole-of-government approach to these incidents and others that may emerge. She cites four lessons learned from the response to the solar winds and exchange server compromises. First, integrating private sector partners at the executive and tactical levels. The active private sector involvement resulted in an expedited Microsoft one-click tool to simplify and accelerate victims' patching and cleanup efforts and direct sharing of relevant information. This type of partnership sets precedent for future engagements on significant cyber incidents. Second, CISA created and utilized a methodology to track trends in patching and exposed exchange servers that enabled the UCG to quantify the scope of the incident. Third, through industry relationships and leveraging legal authorities, the FBI and DOJ quickly identified the scale of the incidents. In the Solar Winds UCG, for example, scoping from a worst case of 16,800 to fewer than 100 targeted exploited non-government entities – 
This enabled focused victim engagement and improved understanding of what the perpetrators targeted from the larger set of exposed entities. And finally, NSA and CISA released cybersecurity advisories that detailed adversary techniques and provided mitigation for system owners. NSA also provided guidance to other U.S. military and intelligence organizations, as well as contractors in the defense industrial base. Fleet Street has been barking at New Zealand, arguing that Wellington has decided to stiff the other four eyes in order to pursue closer relations with China. That's according to a representative article from The Telegraph. New Zealand's Foreign Affairs Minister Nananya Mahuta, News Hub says, is simply concerned about the possibility of the Five Eyes' remit being extended beyond security and that it declines to fully align itself with the Other Eyes' interest in cooperating on the strategic containment of Beijing. And finally, hey everybody, your air fryer is trying to kill you. Maybe. So you're trying to cook healthy since there are no trans fats in, like, air. And after all, who among us shouldn't be trying to up their game health-wise and all of a sudden, blammo, the appliances are all conspiring against you? All right, maybe we're exaggerating a bit. Anywho, researchers at Cisco Talos have found remote code execution vulnerabilities in the Kosori Smart Air Fryer, Talos describes the smart air fryer as a Wi-Fi-enabled kitchen appliance that cooks food with a variety of methods and settings. Users can also use the device's Wi-Fi features to start and stop cooking, look up recipe guides, and monitor cooking status. The model Talos tested is the Kosori Smart 5.8-quart air fryer, version 1.1, and the researchers say it could be exploited by sending a specially crafted packet to the device that contains a unique JSON object, which would allow them to execute arbitrary code. Tim Erlin, VP Product Management and Strategy at Tripwire, emailed us to say that, sure, there seems something risable about finding risk in a smart air fryer, but like other Wi-Fi-enabled smart IoT devices, things like this come with problems. Erlin wrote, quote, It can seem like it's worth a laugh when vulnerabilities are found in these network-connected smart devices, but the increasing ubiquity of connected devices combined with vulnerabilities like these increasingly creates an attack surface with real risk. As Willie Sutton followed the money, so too will threat actors follow the new technology. Erlen goes on and says, We've seen that with mobile devices, with cloud, and we'll see it with IoT as well. Your air fryer or light bulbs might not be that interesting in and of themselves, but they could provide a point of entry to other devices on the network. End quote. So, you try to shrink your waistline, and you wind up expanding your attack surface. Go figure. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. We often discuss how cybersecurity is tied to reputational security, how being the victim of a data breach or ransomware event could affect how people trust your organization. But what about the reputational damage that comes from communications, either internally or public-facing? There are long-used terms in tech that have, for good reason, fallen out of favor, like blacklist or master-versus-slave hard drives. May Habib is CEO of Writer, a company that's developed an AI writing assistant. It's kind of like spell check or grammar check, but it also knows your company's rules and style guide and can remind you when you might just be getting yourself into a little hot water. So we started as a very engineering-focused technology company with a tool for strings management. So basically what that means is in software, there is user-facing content and copy. It's pretty hard to access. Um, And we made it very easy for engineers to basically give content people, you know, a file of all of that content that they could then edit and it synced back to engineering. And uh, we started automating uh, some of those types of suggestions that would be made because if you want to change username to handle or backward, uh, backwards um, the other way, you kind of want to do that in a lot of different places. And the, the AI really um, grew out of that. And we added a lot more functionality around automatically making content a certain way um, and doing that as a team. So, you know, if I am writing for a sixth grade reading level, having everybody who's working on content uh, write to that same reading level. And uh, over time, uh, we really built the ability to do that for longer form content. And today, most of our customers um, are using Writer uh, for uh, product content, customer knowledge-based content, uh, and marketing blog posts and, uh, and product marketing. What can you tell us about the security side of things? I mean, uh, I'm sure there are folks who are get nervous about, you know, having things run through the browser of having their the writing that their folks are doing being sent through someone else's system. How do you contend with that? It's a great question. So we are in a lot of sensitive places. So if you are a professional services firm and you want all your proposals to your end clients to be perfect, you want writer in there 
perfecting folks's uh, writing. But, you know, you may also be delivering an audit report that's got very sensitive information. And so we actually, um, we're, we're grounds up built for that use case um, as a B2B product. So there are a couple of things that are really differentiating here. Number one, uh, we're not saving anyone's data. So that proposal never actually hits a writer server. Um, and because of that, you've got number two, which is we're not using uh, customer data to train our machine learning models. And, and that's, you know, absolutely um, uh, pretty differentiating because for most customers, uh, for most products out there, you are the product. Um, and, you know, anything you write in a browser um, per their terms of service is, is fair game for, for training materials. Um, and, you know, it will be stripped of um, personally identifying information if you're lucky, um, but, you know, your, your data is still in um, somebody else's machine. And, you know, that's just not something that we do. Um, it does mean, you know, uh, a, a huge effort on our part to um, build our own proprietary data sets um, uh, that look and feel, um, you know, similar to our, our target audience, um, but we're not looking at what people are doing. We're not even saving that uh, in order to build those models. That's May Habib from Writer. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, so we recently had news of uh, the FBI. Uh, this is uh, through some announcements from the Justice Department and elsewhere, uh, getting a warrant to reach out and touch some Microsoft Exchange servers, uh, remove some web shells here. Uh, this is uh, certainly when when news broke of this. This caused uh, some raised eyebrows around the cybersecurity community. Uh, I, I wanted to touch base with you from a law and policy point of view. Uh, what's your reaction here, Ben? So I can certainly understand why it raised eyebrows. You have law enforcement uh, gaining access to people's devices without those people uh, knowing that law enforcement has gained access to their devices. Um, right. But I think uh, that law enforcement in this case does have a proper justification and the process they used uh, to enable this access is a legal process uh, prescribed by Justice Department rules. Hmm. So just to give a little bit of background, as everybody knows, we had this uh, big hack suspected to be from Chinese hackers of Microsoft Exchange servers across the country. Uh, Microsoft has recommended in response to this hack that people uh, install the latest security patches. For whatever reason, uh, there are people across the country, maybe you don't have the type of institutional knowledge we do and our listeners have, that they would just decide or, or you know, not know to uh, to download that security patch. 
Yeah. So the FBI was given approval by a magistrate, federal magistrate, to remove web shells left by hackers on hundreds of devices all across the country. Uh, hmm. And this is obviously a very proactive step that law enforcement is taking. Uh, it's a way of responding to this hack beyond just prosecuting uh, the people that we think are responsible. Uh, hmm. And this, they're, they're able to do this because uh, a few years ago, the Justice Department uh, was able to pass an administrative rule uh, internally where you could have a federal magistrate authorize a warrant for devices all across the country. Uh, and one of the, the justifications for doing so would be if there were devices in five or more states that were compromised by some sort of computer crime, uh, hmm. as has happened here. Uh, so they did get that approval from the judge. Uh, and uh, the FBI followed through and accessed people's Microsoft Exchange servers. Mm. Uh, so obviously, I can understand why this rubs people the wrong way. It's the government getting access to our devices without our consent. Um, but this is a legal process, and you know the purpose for conducting this operation uh, certainly is to protect the rest of the country from the effects of this Microsoft Exchange hack. Mm. And I suppose uh, we should take comfort here that uh, they did have to go get a warrant? Right. I mean, this uh, runs contrast to some other circumstances we talk about, particularly in the name of national security, where the FBI uses warrantless authorities. Maybe instead they they obtain uh, an administrative subpoena, which is a uh, you have to have a lesser standard uh, to obtain such a subpoena. Maybe they're using some of our post-9-11 surveillance authorities where they really don't need any uh, judicial approval hmm. to gain access uh, to somebody's personal devices. So I think we can take some comfort here that this is a this is a process. There is judicial review. It's not just the FBI arbitrarily deciding to enter, to go into to people's devices arbitrarily. Um, this is part of a Justice Department process. Uh, so I think... Um, that has to be, even though I can understand why the story rubs people the wrong way, I think it has to be understood in that context. Yeah. Interesting, too, in the, the press release from uh, the DOJ, the, uh, they're making the point that the FBI is making a good faith effort to reach out to everyone whose servers they have uh, accessed here, so, you know, basically send, sending them a, a heads up email. Hey, guess what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> which are, I, it reminds me, we, we talked about this on caveat, it reminds me of the, the little note you get in your luggage from uh, from TSA, you know, when, they, when they've when they searched something. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I kind of have the same reaction uh, that I, I have when I get those TSA notices where it's like, okay. You already looked at my bag. I mean, there's not much I can do about it now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's a consequence of flying. Um, you know, it's it might be a little different here because, you know, I think you uh, assume a certain level of risk that your stuff is going to be searched when you decide mm-hmm. to fly on an airplane. Mm. You know, I guess by owning a device in this country and by using Microsoft Exchange servers, you are also assuming a type of risk. Um, mm. I don't think that risk, I don't think this authority is is very well known to people. So, you know, I think this is not a risk that most people knew they were taking on. Perhaps now the story is out, more people are, are going to recognize this risk. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, the FBI is uh, still investigating this. They also make the point that if you feel as though uh, you've been compromised in this exchange server incident, the FBI would like to hear from you so they can uh, add that to their investigation. Every every little bit of evidence helps. So, yeah, just uh, give them your social security, your mother's maiden name. <laughs> yeah. Now, and now, Ben. 
<laughs> oh, so cynical, Ben. So I cynical. Know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.